Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton, and in today's episode, we are buying and selling the performances in the Arizona Fall League, and I've been wanting to do this episode, but I wanted more of a sample size. I know we touched on it briefly in the Arizona Fall League Performers episode, where I just kind of talked about who stood out naturally. We're going to get to a little bit of like, okay, this guy's standing out, what do you make of it? But it was still earlier in the season, and every week we just get a little bit more of a sample size, more ABs to work with here as well, and just more time to look at the data, break things down. And of course, that was before I got to see more with my own eyes on some of these players. And I've started to realize that a lot of fans, and understandably so, don't totally know what to make of each player's Arizona Fall League experience and what they've done, right? We look at who was one of the best performers last year in the Fall League. It was J.J. Blade, but didn't quite follow that up with a performance in AAA this year that you were hoping for if you were a Marlins fan, although I will say that a lot of what he adjusted seemed to translate in some ways, and he did make his way up to the big leagues. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if that was exactly what fans were hoping after J.J. Blade lit up the Fall League last year. I could go back further each season or, or pick out candidates each year that put up good numbers and then maybe the next season it didn't all quite come together and it wasn't quite a sign of things changing. It was more of a guy who struggled in the upper minors, who went to the fall league, took advantage of weaker competition, then continued to struggle in the upper minors. Trying to identify those guys versus the guys who you know didn't have the year they wanted to or were banged up or whatever may have been in the regular season, then go to the fall league, make adjustments, some things click, and then they parlay that into momentum into the next season. That's what every fan's hoping, right? With a lot of the candidates that are out there, of course, there's also players like Jordan Walker who are just getting more work and making their case for an early 2023 call-up or even potentially breaking camp. A little bit different. Not going to spend as much time on those guys because, of course, I'm buying the performance of Jordan Walker. I'd buy the performance of Jordan Walker if he was playing on the moon. He is a very good baseball player, and it doesn't really matter where he's playing. Uh, But I want to talk more about the Austin Martins of the world, the Heston Kerstads of the world. How are we assessing what they have done so far in the Arizona Fall League? And are we buying or selling some of that performance so far? I'll start with Austin Martin. I know I've talked about him in the episode that was more highlighting the top performers in the Fall League in general, but I wasn't totally sure what to make of you know what he's doing. And, and the more games that I get to see after watching him take batting practice, you know, seeing him even have some conversations about you know what he was hoping to get out of the Fall League and what he's focused on. I am buying what we're seeing from Austin Martin to a degree. And this is with an important caveat here is 
then I think we need to reassess the way we look at Austin Martin being someone that was always a bit lower on him. I didn't think Austin Martin was going to be a 670 OPS guy in the upper minors, even being lower on him when he was drafted. Never thought that was going to happen. And that's basically what happened this past year. Uh, But when I say reassess the way we look at him, when I am saying I'm buying what Martin is selling in terms of the adjustment and the improvements in his performance, that's not to reach the ceiling that was perceived of the number five overall pick in the 2020 draft. I think to a degree that ship has sailed. Uh, that doesn't mean that he's not going to be a solid big leaguer, but when you take someone number five in the draft, and he was considered to have fallen to number five, right? I mean, he was somebody that was considered to be a candidate for the number one pick that was viewed by many as the best college bat in the draft. I don't know if he has that superstar upside. I think it's it's fairly clear that he just doesn't impact the baseball enough. And if you don't impact the baseball enough, you better be a freak athlete. Unfortunately, he's not a freak athlete either. But I think that the athleticism is starting to shine through a little bit more. I see a much more explosive Austin Martin. I also see a more confident Austin Martin out there. And that's what stood out to me. So when I say I'm buying what he's selling in the fall league, he's hitting 384, 64, 507. Look, he's not going to do that, right? He's still not going to hit for that much power. He only has one home run and seven extra base hits in the fall league. But what I see is a guy that's leaning into what you know, I always thought he would be. And there was always the question of how much power is going to be there? Where is he going to play positionally? Can he stick it short? If he can't stick it short, if he moves to third, is the bat going to be enough to really carry the weight of a third baseman there? Probably not. And that's why there was more pressure on the power. Does he go to center field, which I still think is his long-term home? And we've seen him out there for four games in the fall league, and he's looked solid. He played seven games there in the regular season as well. I still think that's where we could see him ultimately. But what we're seeing still now is a little bit more of that utility type of role. And, And he started to do that more at the end of last year. But I see him leaning more into who he was in college and who he has always been, which is not somebody that's going to hit 20 home runs or or really be much of a factor in the slugging department, but finding a way to still be productive despite that. And I know in today's game, that's a little bit more unpopular, but I think baseball is cyclical and we're seeing a lot more contact oriented guys make their way to the big leagues. But I think you could see at points where there was a little bit of that want from Martin to to show that he can hit for at least a little bit of power to help shore up some of those other questions or holes perceived in his game that I just don't think need to be emphasized, right? If he is a great hitter who ends up just hitting for average, getting on base at a high clip, which we know he's going to walk with the best of them, he doesn't chase, and then can play all over the field. We saw the stolen bases trickle in even more so where it wasn't a huge factor in his game at college. He's an above average, comfortably above average runner, but not a, an absolute burner. He's quick, he's got the instincts, he's a gamer, knows when to run, and this season, 35 bags on 41 tries, and then we saw him so far in the fall league, 10 for 11. So now that's becoming a little bit of a part of the game that he can have impact, you know, part of his game that is impactful. You also see him just grinding out at bats more, just trying to put the ball in play with authority on a line instead of, you know, let me try to do some damage early in the count, and then it gets to two strikes, and now you're in fight or flight mode. We're seeing a guy that's just trying to put the ball in play with authority and just get on base, set the tone, be that leadoff hitter, and be somebody that can play all over. I see a super utility leadoff type. That's what Austin Martin always looked like to me. I acknowledge that there was a little bit of that ceiling before, but I think the ceiling has come down a little bit. That said, what he's doing in the fall league is just a reminder of how much more advanced of a baseball player he is. He's always been the most advanced guy at his level until last year. And that was the you know surprising thing about it is, you know, we kind of forget that this guy's just flown through every level, hit 392 as a sophomore 
at Vanderbilt, which is a joke. That's insane to do in the SEC. And then hit 377 through his first 16 games as a junior before, of course, that season was canceled due to COVID. So we've seen this guy kind of be the more advanced hitter almost everywhere he goes, but then just hit a bit of a wall in 2022 in AA. And I think that was trying to be something that he's not after a trade as well, because Ironically, saw him put we saw him put up some pretty good numbers in double A in 2021 uh, when he was still with the Blue Jays. So I think Martin is still leaning into who he is. I think he's getting comfortable with that. And that's going to be a a solid big league baseball player that's going to be around for a long time. Not a guy that had a 685 OPS in double A last season. That's not going to be what he is. So I'm buying it cautiously. I think he's going to be a lot better than he was last year. And this performance was a really good confidence booster for him. And a reminder that his game translates and it can even translate at the highest level. A two to three and a half win super utility guy may not have been the hope, but I still think that's a really solid player and still a pretty solid outcome given what he did last year. I'll acknowledge there's still room for more than that if the hit tool can trend closer to that easy plus that a lot of people had coming out of the draft rather than the 241 hitter that he was last year. Contact rates point towards better days ahead. Uh, It's really just a matter of hitting the ball a little bit harder on a line. Doesn't need to be far, just needs to be harder on a line. And again, he's leaning into that more in this fall league. Next guy I've been wanting to talk about is Heston Kerstad of the Baltimore Orioles. And Kerstad was a finalist in the Home Run Derby the other day, the first Arizona Fall League Home Run Derby, which looked like a lot of fun. They should probably try streaming that a little bit better and making it more available to the public because I think there's a lot of people out there who would like to watch that and didn't get to or watched a really iffy stream on the computer. Oh Man, would I kill to be able to broadcast Arizona Fall League baseball games. I would love to do that with Jack. And that's a whole sidebar. I could record a whole episode on that because I really think we could get more eyeballs on that. But uh, we'll see. That's something that is a pipe dream of mine. Maybe we can make that happen down the line. But regardless, back on track here. Heston Kerstad, number two overall pick in that same 2020 draft. And of course, he's dealt with a lot. And it's just been so awesome to see this guy back on the field, period. I mean, with myocarditis, inflammation of the heart, uh, that's very, very scary. He didn't know when he could go back on the field. He finally came back and started taking BP and started to get his strength back a little bit was cleared to you know fully resume activities and, and, and play baseball. And, and so we didn't get to see this guy make his professional debut after being drafted in 2020 until 2022. And look, he, he really had a great year. If you look at it, things overall, he starts in low A where he tore it up for 22 games. He hit 463 in 98 plate appearances. It was a joke to him. Then he goes up to high A, and and there were some challenges. And if you know, Heston Kerstad's a college guy with an unorthodox swing, but the numbers spoke for themselves. He just mashed and mashed and mashed, and there was no way to deny it. Uh, But there was always a little bit of swing and miss concern there. He gets up to high A, and and the, the swing and miss crept back in a little bit. 85 WRC plus, but again, it was just most important to see him on the field and see him just getting reps and just getting comfortable again playing the game that he hadn't played for over two years. So that was the most important thing. Very, I was very excited to see him in the fall league because you know we just haven't had very many looks at Heston Kerstad. What's very evident is that the power is coming back, and this was somebody that dealing with a health issue like myocarditis, very easy to you know lose that strength, especially in-game explosiveness, all of those things. We're seeing that come back. He flashed a 110 mile per hour exit velo last year, but we're starting to see him just more consistently hit the ball hard, which is great to see. I think in the fall league already, he has a pair of 110 mile per hour homers, which is just 
awesome because that's the kind of power he has. You look at scouting grades when he was coming out uh, of college. It was out of Arkansas. It was 70 grade raw power, almost no matter who you asked. Over this past year, the exit velos would you know point more towards a 55 raw power guy. But again, you got to you know acknowledge the situation at hand here, and it seems like the power is coming back. So this is a a multifaceted buy or sell because. I am buying that he is coming back into his own physically, which is very important. What I'm selling to a degree is the overall just bat-to-ball numbers, right? If you look at the numbers from Kerstad right now, he's hitting 371, 400, 663. That is awesome. Very happy for him. And it's really hard for me to to be negative on Heston Kerstad when he's doing that, and his story is so awesome. I think this is a net positive. I want to I want to emphasize that this is good news. He's heading in the right direction. All things are great overall. But I'm going to put out the Baltimore Orioles top 10 prospect list probably tomorrow. And when you look at the top 10 prospect list, Heston Kerstad is going to be probably nine or 10 on that list because guys like Kyle Stowers are probably going to be ahead of him. That kind of puts into perspective here, I think, and, and can kind of put into context where I'm at on Kerstad. I acknowledge that the upside is is there. I mean, he was a number two overall pick, even though he was an underslot for a reason. He was he was one of the top college bats for a reason. He has big time power and a track record of hitting. My concern with Kerstad is that the whiffs are going to really make themselves. It's going to make itself evident at the double A level. I, there's some issues with approach. There's some issues with just pitch recognition. And when he got to high A, he just really got blown up by velocity. So in low A, college guy, of course, he's going to take advantage of that competition. When he gets to high A, you know, look at fastballs, 94 miles an hour and above, 565 OPS in high A against those pitches. Uh, you look at just the overall numbers in high A, it, it wasn't nearly as good, right? 234, 310, 370 slash line, if I'm not mistaken. And the 90th percentile exit velos were down. He just looked overmatched. And this is tough to read because of the fact that you know, this is somebody that hasn't played for so long, and, and I want to continue to emphasize that. But when you go to the Arizona Fall League, just looking at the overall competition, sure, there's certain players that are going to be closer to a double-A level, but I would say there's more pitchers that are closer to a low-A level than you may think. And, and especially this year, I would say that the pitching, depending on what league you were in in high-A, is a bit weaker than some high-A leagues. So this is almost between low A and high A in an environment where the ball flies more. So I don't want to say it from the lens of Kerstad is doomed and I'm going to put more stock in his high A performance than his Arizona Fall League performance. But what I will say is the high A struggles kind of caused me to take the Arizona Fall League performance with a grain of salt, especially after what we already saw him do in low A prior. I still think he's going to continue to build and head in the right direction. I just don't think it's going to happen as quickly as some may hope after the Arizona Fall League performance, right? I think he's going to potentially even repeat in high A. I'm not sure if this performance will encourage the Orioles to be aggressive with Kerstad. I know he's 23, but you got to treat this holistically, right? you got to treat this like a very unique situation here. And I don't know if you want to rush him to double. If they do, which I think there's a still a very good chance that they do rush him to double, he's going to struggle. And that's okay. Uh, That's fine. He's still making up for lost time in terms of the plate appearances. But just be prepared. 
I do think that if he goes to double, he'll hit his home runs, but he's going to struggle overall and it's going to take some time and it's going to be a season of development. And at that point, you're hoping he finishes the year strong and can build that into the next season. But I don't think we're going to see Kerstad you know, just continue to roll off of the Arizona Fall League and just produce right away. I think the struggles with Velo and high A were very evident. There's some pretty big blue zones with his swing that I think he needs to continue to figure out how to replicate those moves at a higher level because you can get away with you know not being as perfect with your pre-swing moves when you're playing in college. But when you get to high A, higher Velo, better stuff, less time to make decisions, you've got to be as perfect with those pre-swing moves and that whole dance as possible, especially when you are as unique with your swing as Kerstad. It's definitely going to be a bit of a learning curve for him, I think, in double. Uh, But I still really do believe that he can be a very solid power bat at the highest level. The reason why I'm saying I'm not buying his performance fully is that I think it's going to take a lot more time for him to develop. But the Arizona Fall League, nonetheless, is a sign of Good things for somebody that's been through the ringer over the last couple of years, and I'm absolutely rooting for Heston Kerstad. Last thing I'll say is that even in this you know very weak pitching league, Kerstad has struck out 27 times in 89 at-bats. 27 strikeouts against just five walks. That's the second most strikeouts in the league to only Reese Hines and the second worst K to BB rate behind only Reese Hines. So that, that company puts things in perspective a little bit but very encouraged by the uptick in power that we're seeing from Kerstad. Next up is Andy Pajes of the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, a prospect that I think has unfairly lost some helium after struggling in double A as a 21-year-old. And really, I I like everything I've seen from the fall league so far by him. And I'm going to emphasize why some of the things that he has shown are a sign of what I think is something that's going to continue into next year. So a little bit more in the background of Pajes, if you may have missed that top 100 episode where we detailed kind of why he slipped a bit in the top 100 rankings, but not as much for us compared to the rest of the industry. It was that we pit him against himself a little bit. And that's why I wanted to keep myself honest with that. He was really young in high A, hit a ton of home runs there, then gets the early nod to double A, still produces home runs, still maintains the same strikeout rate, but the walk rate dips and just the overall offensive consistency tapers off. Batting average drops by 30 points on base by 60 points. Slugging still up there, but does drop by about 40, 50 points there too. But still, you combine the last two seasons between high A and double A, you got 252 games where he has hit 57 home runs and maintained a 24.5% K rate. And he's still not 22 yet. He's about to turn 22 years old. So this was somebody that seeing him in person really added to my confidence in him. You know, when you look at what this Dodgers prospect has been able to do in terms of already producing at a young age, but as a swing and miss candidate, really being able to to repeat his moves, simplifying things. He is so twitchy and strong. He's a good athlete for his 6'1", 215 frame. He moves well and also has just a ridiculous amount of bat speed that he produces relatively easily. It's low effort. And in batting practice, you could see the emphasis on repeating that swing and in tapping into the power, lifting the ball consistently, which he does a phenomenal job of. He's not going to put the ball on the ground very much. 25% ground ball rate over the last two years, maybe 26% roughly. Seeing him use the whole field more was really encouraging. Somebody that liked to go pull side to get it in the air and tap into that power. The Fall League is, of course, a a perfect environment for him as a fly ball hitter who hits the ball hard. So I I wasn't really going to draw too much from his home run and, and production standpoint in the Arizona Fall League. What I wanted to see more was just 
the swing decisions and the overall zone contact rate in terms of just what is he chasing? What is he swinging through? Or, you know, maybe if both of those are hedged a little bit. So far in the fall league, we've seen the end zone whiff rate drop a ton. And it's important to note that, of course, when you're facing less impressive competition, that's going to be the case. But that said, you still have some guys that are swing and miss guys that uh, will struggle with that. And looking at Pajes' individual at-bats, even against the more advanced pitching, he has been much better in that regard. And I think it's because of his more consistent moves and his better knowledge for the zone and just improved pitch recognition overall that seemed to get better as the year went on. So far, he's barely missed any fastballs. It's a small sample size. He's only seen 155 fastballs in the fall league, but only a 3% in-zone whiff rate. So if you want to work that backwards, 97% zone contact on fastballs, which he's seen 155 of them so far in the fall league. A much better ability to just discern whether he thinks he can do much with those pitches. And again, this is a fly ball guy. He was swinging at a lot of heavy fastballs at the bottom of the zone. Why? That doesn't really work for you. So just catering his approach more towards what his swing is aiming to do. When it comes to the sliders, not going to be as good as the sliders he saw in double A, acknowledging that, but it still seems like he's much more comfortable and the improvements with his zone confidence with his swing seem to be spilling over with the sliders as well. Also, when you're looking to use the whole field, it's going to be easier to hit sliders because you're thinking fastball, you pick up the spin late, you're staying back, you go the other way. It's a little bit easier instead of trying to you know, pull a fastball, it turns out to be a slider, you're going to swing over that slider 99 out of 100 times, especially if it's a hard fastball. So there's been many improvements in the approach, pitch recognition. I like all the things I've seen from him so far. He's kept the strikeouts in check. No surprise if you're not whiffing in the zone nearly as much as you were in the past. And also, you know, we're seeing somebody that is blossoming in the outfield. He is a solid outfielder. He has an elite arm in the corner. He's an above average runner. He could get by in center in an absolute pinch, but I think he could be a well above average right fielder with the arm and the athleticism that he brings. His routes continue to get better. I think this is a very solid performance by him in the fall league in terms of throw the numbers out the things that you wanted to see him improve upon. I'm sure that the Dodgers are thrilled and I think this is going to be a momentum builder for him going into next season. I don't know if he starts in double A again or if they, you know, send him straight to triple, whatever it is, what he did in the fall league should give him confidence to be able to build upon some of the things that got exposed a bit in double A, albeit even when he was exposed, put up an above average offensive season as one of the younger players at that level, or at least well below the average age at that level. Very encouraged by what we saw from Andy Pajes. Next up is one of the best breakout prospects this year from the Toronto Blue Jays. It's Addison Barger, 22-year-old, about to turn 23 in a few days, so happy early birthday to Addison Barger. He's really struggled in the Arizona Fall League, yeah, very much so. And so this is a, a flip around of the buy or sell. Am I buying or selling the struggles from the shortstop prospect from the Toronto Blue Jays? Take you through Barger's numbers real quick. In 16 games in the AFL, Barger's hitting 189, 317, 321, 8 strikeouts, 10 walks. Or excuse me, 8 walks, 10 strikeouts. Not great. Not great at all. He has a pair of home runs, but really, you weren't expecting to see Addison Barger hit 189 after what he did in the regular season where he climbed three levels. He was a sixth-round pick in 2018. Uh, more of an under-the-radar guy, but he did put up a really solid season in 2021, producing power, hit 20 or 18 homers in 91 games at the low-A level, and then really parlayed that into a phenomenal year this year where between high-A, 
AA, and AAA, we saw Barger hit 308, 378, 555. 25% K rate, 9% walk rate. Good for a 152 WRC+. And honestly, Barger's somebody that I did not really have much on prior to this season, hence the, the breakout guy. And uh, He's somebody that is very dependent on pull side power. That's how he's going to tap into his juice. That's how he's going to produce. But he has enough ability to use the whole field that I'm not too concerned about it. It seems like he leverages his counts well, knows when to try to let it eat pull side, but also knows when to battle and, and use the whole field a bit more, especially with his Really impressive exit velos, 104.2 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velos well above average. So if you're a guy that's putting up above average exit velos, using the whole field, BABIP is going to usually be higher for guys like that. Smart to use that, not just always try to pull. He's an aggressive hitter, and that was something that you know could tend to make him streaky. And I think being an aggressive hitter and going into the fall league, we have the 16-game sample of, of pitchers that don't nearly have the command of the pitchers that he saw in double A and in triple A. Sometimes that aggressive approach can do you in a little bit. I think that's exactly what we're seeing from Barger. So I'm selling the struggles. I think he is still a very solid prospect and one of the bigger risers in the minor leagues. We didn't get to see too much of him in triple, only eight games there, but even in those eight games, homered three times, looked really good, barely struck out. Double A, we had 47 games of him there where I think that's more indicative of what we can expect. 313, 384, 528 slash line, 25% K rate, nine home runs. He's going to swing and miss a little bit, but I honestly don't see that much whiff in his game relative to the strikeout rates. The strikeout rates have been higher because of his 32% chase rate. 84% zone contact is more than good, especially when you look at the big leg kick he has. I mean, there, there's some moving parts to his swing, but you know, whiff rates are not a major issue, especially against Velo. He is very solid against Velo. I do wonder if the moving parts cause him to make decisions a bit earlier, and as a result, he's more likely to chase. But at the, at the same point, he makes a lot of contact even with those moving parts. So it's going to be interesting to see how he continues to develop in that regard. But when you have a lot of moving parts to your swing and you're aggressive, you're going to tend to be a streakier hitter. And I think right now he's also tired. His body is very incorporated into his swing. And he's never played nearly this many games as a guy that was drafted out of high school in 2018. I don't know if he's ever really played more than a little over 100 games. So this year, already well over 100 uh, before he got to the Fall League. And now probably running out of gas a little bit too, I'm sure is a factor. But somebody that hit 28 home runs this season, if you combine them all, the power is legit, especially to the pull side. He lifts the ball. Again, another dude that lifts the ball really, really well. I'm not concerned about the struggles, and I expect him to be a force in AAA next year if he can cut down on the chase rates. That's the only thing. But other than that, I wouldn't make too much of his struggles in the Arizona Fall League. Blue Jays fans, Barger should be just fine. On the pitching side, things are a bit less complicated because there's a lot of good hitters in this league, and it's a really brutal environment to pitch in. So I'm always going to lean a little bit more towards buying their performances. And you'll get Brian Wu right-handed pitching prospect with the Seattle Mariners, and he had a great year this year, a really solid season as a sixth-round pick in 2021. What what he did between low A and high A was extremely impressive. College guy, though, so you expect that a little bit, but even between those two levels, Wu struck out nearly 34% of batters, walked 9%, pitched to a 3-3-2 FIP, 4-1-1 ERA. A little bit of command issues here and there also, you know, runs into some hard contact, either 1-3-2 whip. So that was something that I wanted to look at, right? Is you know, is, is some of the higher amount of hits, 32 hits and 32 innings in high A, is that going to translate into more damage in the Arizona Fall League? The answer has been absolutely not. 
Uh, Brian Wu has been spectacular in 10 and two-thirds innings. He's only given up one run. What's harder in the fall league is we rarely see guys stretched out. So that's the one vice here when we're trying to make something of performances. I will say he has been really good against really tough hitters. He's been burned for one home run, ironically, against Heston Kerstad. So that was encouraging in a vacuum there uh, for Heston Kerstad. But when you look at what Wu's been able to do, the end zone whiff on the fastball stands out to me. It's 95 miles an hour, but has a lot of shape, a good shape, a lot of life to it. That's something that stands out. Then also mixing in the changeup and the slider. He's got a legitimate three-pitch mix that is competitive. I think that should make him a potential big league starter as he continues to get better with the command. And I really think what we're seeing from him here, if damage was the question, right? He gives up a little bit more contact than you like to see. Neither of the secondary pitches are truly, truly plus. What is this guy going to look like? Well, I think we're starting to see it. It's, it's a fastball that leads the way, and you worry about that because high-spin fastball could be susceptible to the long ball, especially if the secondaries don't quite you know, live up to the same standard as the fastball. Doesn't seem to be an issue for Wu so far, which is encouraging. If you can pitch to the top of the zone without being extremely susceptible to the home run, which of the 47 batters he's faced, he's only surrendered one, and it's to you know, one of the best power hitters out there right now, that's a great sign. 22 years old, we'll start next year in double A. I'm buying what Wu is selling. If that changeup can continue to get better in terms of his command, and the slider seems to be the best out pitch right now, I think this guy could be a solid back end of the rotation starter. Worst case scenario, could be a very solid reliever. Last guy I want to talk about here is Quinn Priester because he's a tough read in a lot of ways. I think he had a really good year this year uh, overall and, and has continued to progress nicely as someone that I've always had a little bit of concern about. I always wondered what the ceiling looks like, but he just turned 22 years old. So to do what he did last year in double A, a 287 ERA, a 323 FIP, and then reach triple A for a couple starts, I think was extremely encouraging in his age 21 season. But, you know, he has not quite been the same guy in the Arizona Fall League as you'd expect with what he did in double and triple to maybe parlay that into success in the Fall League. But that being said, He's been stretched out a little bit more than the average pitcher, so maybe asked a little bit more. And the lineups are really tough out there. There's some lineups that are as tough as some double and triple A lineups. I would say several lineups in that fall league are better than most double A teams offensively uh, when they have all of their guys going. And for the most part in the fall league, it's been an interchanging you know, lineup of just studs. And if you have the main, main guys there, it's a very, very tough outing. What I noticed specifically with Priester and why I want to talk about him is, well, first I'll talk about the numbers. 6-2-6 ERA in 23 innings. He struck out 22. He's walked 10. But Priester's been out there specifically working on stuff. And then this is one of the players, one of the pitchers, where it's been most obvious to see you know, what he is working on and what he's tinkering with. And I actually really like what I'm seeing in terms of what he is trying to do. I haven't talked to him about this, but it seems like he is trying to use that sinker more than the four seamer and getting more comfortable with the sinker. I talked about that in the past, about how his sinker was more effective this year during the course of the season, yet he still used the four seamer a lot. He, he used it for the first half of the year more than his sinker, and it got bludgeoned this year. His four seamer over the course of the season, 323, 411, 512 opponent slash line. That's a 923 OPS with only an 8% K rate. Not going to fly. In comparison, his sinker, 222, 305, 325 slash line for opponents to 630 OPS with a 14% strikeout rate and a 64% ground ball rate. 
that will play. So realizing that the four-seamer just doesn't really work for him and trying to build off of that, eliminate or phase out the four-seamer and use the sinker more. That's what we've seen so far in the fall league. Of the six outings we've seen from him, he's thrown the sinker 39% of the time, while the four-seamer has been phased out to just 15% of the time. Even in the 15% of the times that he has thrown it, he has given up four hits, he's given up a home run, he's given up two doubles, and walked two guys. So I just don't want to see him use that pitch anymore because you look at the sinker, which he is throwing four out of ten times at this league, he is still only surrendering a 699 OPS and, again, the really high ground ball rates. We know that the slider is good. We know that the curveball is that majestic pitch that people have really latched onto and really love. I would argue that the slider at times has, has been even more effective, especially when he's able to locate it. But he locates both those breaking balls well uh, when he's on. I want to see that sinker more used. And I think you got to take his struggles with a grain of salt in the fall league because he's tinkering. And he's getting used to using the sinker and also learning how the rest of the pitches work off of it. Four-seamer, top of the zone, tunnels really well with a 12-6 curveball. So how are you going to adjust your arsenal now? Sinker, bottom of the zone, hammer, curveball, slider that's more of a sweeper, and a changeup, by the way, that was an asset for him during the season as well. So how are you going to use that pitch mix a bit more? Change-up, sinker combination can be tough sometimes because the pitches kind of echo each other. And if the sinker is working at the bottom of the zone, slider and curveball and change-up are all going to work at the bottom of the zone too. You don't want to give the hitter the opportunity to eliminate that top region. So he's trying to figure that out, and he will. He'll get more comfortable, he'll get better, and I think he'll he'll be able to use his whole arsenal more effectively. But this is the place to try it, right? This is the place to work through things and see what works when the stakes are really zero. At the end of the day, the stakes are zero in the Arizona Fall League. You might as well treat it as a practice game, as a scrimmage. And I think in a lot of these guys' minds, that's really what it is, uh, to, to work through these things. The numbers... The accolades, sure, that's all great, but at the end of the day, it's really a drop in the bucket for their larger overall effort, and they're there to either work on something or build confidence. So I am selling the struggles of Quinn Priester, and I think I'm actually excited to see how he parlays that into success next year and leaning on the pitches that work well for him, learning how to mix them well, and just continuing to be a more polished all-around arm. I don't see the front line upside I don't think I ever have, but I do see a middle of the rotation starter here and a struggle, a 6 ERA in the fall league isn't going to make a difference for me there. That'll do it for this episode. A little bit more on what you can expect. we got the Baltimore Orioles top 10 prospects. You can expect top 10s moving forward every week, as I talked about in the past. Uh, You can expect that for each team as we move forward here. Very excited about that. The folks at JustBaseball.com are pumping out free agent content that I think you will really enjoy. Definitely go check that out. Top 20 free agents with predictions and individual profiles on all of the players and how much they're going to make. That's all up there, or at least how much we think they're going to make. That's all up at JustBaseball.com. We are your guide. We'll give you everything you need to keep up with free agency and also just know Everything you need to know about this offseason, all all the potential transactions. I will be all over the Rule 5 draft once we get that finalized. And we will get everything finalized on the 16th. November 16th is the deadline for teams to add players to their 40-man roster. And oh my goodness, am I excited to see who gets left off and be able to talk about some of the best prospects that are going to be available in the Rule 5 draft. We will be crushing that on this podcast and crushing the coverage on JustBaseball.com as well. So keep up there. If you could leave a rating to help grow the podcast, I would really appreciate it. Share it with your friends who might also be prospect junkies or into dynasty or baseball cards or whatever. Thank you so much as always for listening. Look forward to talking Baltimore Orioles prospects with you tomorrow. 
What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.